Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. Welcome to all our our favourite listeners to the Football Ramble, of course, on Patreon. Uh, you've you've entered the mailbag, and my goodness, what a sight it is to have you with us. Uh, obviously, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very much for, for signing up um, to this tier of Patreon. We do appreciate it. The good news is, ladies and gentlemen, I am not alone in this mailbag because Andy Brassel's here. Hello, and thank you, listeners. Really, I do mean that. Thank you, listeners. And thank you for turning up, Andy. Otherwise, this would be diabolically bad. Um, I have you, been... might, you might have to read like an outstanding football autobiography of recent past or something like that to fill the time, Maybe. right? So I've been asking your good selves, ladies and gentlemen, to to uh, grease uh, our palms with questions for me to, to tee up Andy with as he smashes the ball out of the ballpark, to use a baseball analogy, or onto the boundary if we're going to use a, a more local example. <clears throat> and uh, you have been very kind in doing so. We'll start with Jamie Arathun, who says he would he said it would be great to hear about Famalicão from the Portuguese League. In the top tier, they are, having been in the fifth tier only a number of years ago. Well, it was about 2009 they were in uh, the, the, the fifth tier of Portuguese mm. football. They're currently seventh in the top flight in Portugal. Andy, what on earth is going on there? Yeah, and as, as, as I suspect Jamie knows when he asks the question, um, the reason why they're one of the stories of the season is not just the fact that they've come up um, the league so quickly, not just the fact that the last time they were in the top flight was... Um, 25 years ago but the fact that um, for a, a several weeks in the autumn they actually led the table oh. now to put this in some sort of perspective um, this for Portugal is an absolutely immense story because this is a country in which um, the big three dominate of uh, Porto, Benfica and Sporting um, bear in mind since the Portuguese league has been going there have been two years two single seasons in which one of those big three has not won the title. And I know what you're about to say, Marcus, but let me interrupt. Okay. Belenenses in 1946 and Bovista mm. in 2001. I'm sorry to have stolen your line there. Um, right. But so for, for another team to be top of the table is jaw dropping. It's, it's genuine news. And um, with that rise, um, obviously, a lot of and, and the context and the fact that for Malikau play in a stadium that holds less than five and a half thousand people, I suspect there's lots of you out there going, "Oh, fairy tale." Well, not quite. Uh, the <laughs> owner, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I should have kept that going a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, well, um, of course, for, they couldn't. Much like uh, many people with the toilet roll challenge, Andy being top of the league, they couldn't keep it up. <laughs> yeah that's absolutely right and um yeah natural gravity to a, a point but i do wonder if this is more than just a a mere flash in the pan because mm. as i was just about to go into they do have serious backing uh the majority shareholder for the last couple of years is uh ifan offer um the israeli uh, tycoon and um is not only someone who bought into Famalicao um, in what, 2018 by uh, getting a majority shareholding. He's since 
enlarged that majority shareholding during this season. He's gone up to 85, 86%. Um, so at, at some point, I'm, I'm sure it'll be um, a complete takeover. Why has he um, done that? What, what were the reasons? I mean, obviously he'll say, oh, because I love football or something. But what's the, the, the little story behind that? Oh, it's all coming. It's all coming. Okay. Look, look, Sorry, brother. Sorry. He, he, uh, he also owns um, a third of Atletico Madrid. So this a is Compton a guy... Pacific group. Uh, yes, that's right. That's him. Yeah. The, 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 this is a guy who has a lot of cash. I mean, if, if any of uh, the listeners are familiar with the, the Tate Modern in London, you'll um, go into that and... Um, Part of uh, part of the the Tate Modern one section of it is called the Offer Wing, which is um, funded by his dad Sammy, and they're a very very rich industrialist family. Mm. Um, and w- when we see the composition of the Famalicao squad this season, um, you, you look there's there's a, a couple of loanees from well there's a lot of loanees but there's a couple of loanees from um atletico madrid there's a few from uh valencia as as well which is 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 notable obviously with the the george mendes connection as well um so i think for them to get some sort of for him to get some sort of foothold in in portuguese football um Mm. uh if an offer is, is is quite interesting because I think it makes a lot of sense if you if you're looking at it from his perspective because obviously a club of that size is never going to be anything like the the money spinner that mm. Atletico Madrid can potentially be getting in the the Champions League etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But you do think there's a vacuum in terms of challenging the, the 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 top teams in in Portugal. Now, you look at Benfica who've been brilliantly run over the past um 11, 12 years. Um, and they're making a lot of money as well as winning a lot of trophies. Mm-hmm. Porto are in a more difficult financial position and they have been for a number of years. We think of them as kings of the transfer market, but they've really struggled in recent years uh, to to sell players um, as, as prolifically as they, they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, they've lost a, a couple of big players for, for free. In, in the last little while. You look at just last summer where they lost um, Yasin Brahimi and Hector Herrera, players who they would have expected to sell for the thick end of 30, 40 million euros and they allowed their contracts to to wind down. So that's why before the current hiatus, for, for the first time in a while, it seemed as if there was going to be a genuine presidential race with FC Porto. The elections, which were due to be halfway through April, uh, have have now been delayed because of the current situation. Um, But they're vulnerable. And Pinto de Costa has got genuine competitors because people are unhappy about the financial performance of the club. And, um, you know, they'll be in even a worse position if um, they didn't have such a, a tremendous coach as they do in Sergio Conceição at the moment. So I think when you look at what's going on at Porto, when you look at what's going on at sporting, if you can build a, a club with that sharing of resources from Atletico Madrid and from your other connections elsewhere, maybe you can inch up towards like that, that sort of Leipzig territory, you know, a newcomer that manages to consistently qualify for European competition. Because I think with just a little bit of money, 
injected, which would be like really a drop in the ocean for a guy like Offer. That's something that could make a massive difference in a league of this size. I mean, to to try and put in perspective um, what the differences are in terms of financial clout between uh, something we might be familiar more familiar with, like the the, the Premier League or um, La Liga, for example. Um, the the long term deals that most Portuguese clubs sign because they sign individually, not collectively, um, with major broadcasters, um, most um, mostly Nosh, is the, 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 if if you look at say look at Braga for example, they're a team that we know haven't won the title in Portugal, um, but they've they've come second, um, they've won the Tasta Liga, the League Cup this season. Um, they've won the, the the Tassa in recent memory as, as as well. They consistently qualify for the Europa League. They've been in the Champions League a couple of times. What they get for their TV rights for ten years is a hundred million euros. So mm. compare that to like the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League, for example. They mm-hmm. get more than that. Like Huddersfield will have earned more from yeah. um, one of their two seasons in the Premier League than Braga earn in a decade so that to me says if you're a guy like if an offer there's there's an opportunity i yeah. think to 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 build something now um I, th- there's not been huge meddling it seems in terms of selection george Sosa, who's the coach who was formerly the assistant long-term assistant to uh, marco silva uh, um, sporting olympiacos hull watford all of those sort of teams he took over at the start of the season. And it seems that despite um, him being given players from exactly the sources that y- you would expect, he's left to get on and, and and pick the team. I think there was a good example of this a couple of months ago when they were coming up to the second leg of their Tassa semi-final against uh, Benfica. And uh, Sosa wanted to save his players for... That, that semi-final because he wanted them to get to the cup final. Now, um, he what he did is he made 10 team changes for a home game against Vitoria Guimaraes and they got a player sent off early on and they lost 7-0 at home to Vitoria Guimaraes. And um, afterwards he talked about it and he said, well, yeah, you know, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But it's a fair punt because we want to get in the final. And... You know, I think at different clubs, the owners would be really annoyed about that. They would be saying, you know, eyes on the prize. It's all about mm-hmm. um, qualifying for what you can um, in, in the league. Now, maybe further down the line, if they are genuinely and consistently in a position to challenge for the Champions League, then maybe that would be a different discussion. I tend to think if they finish, if they were to get a European qualification out of this season, which is still possible because it looks like mm-hmm. fifth place will will be good for European com- uh, um, competition. That'd with, be a great well, yeah, that that would that would be amazing. That would be a a, a great start. But for the moment, Jure Sosa has got absolutely carte blanche to do all the weird stuff in terms of team picks that he wants to do incidentally marcus edwards who you may remember as being the former uh, spurs trainee who scored always that nice fantastic goal mm-hmm. <laughs> always always mm. um he scored that brilliant goal against uh, arsenal in the europa league for for Gimanich earlier this season oh, yeah. he got a couple of goals in that and he, he really took for apart but you know that shouldn't be indicative of anything apart from the fact that 
they were playing their 10 man reserves but um this interesting little aside but i tend to think that for malikau with that kind of backing with the fact that with a little bit of money you can do quite a lot in portugal I think they might be here to stay in the top bracket in, in Portugal and maybe they can even build on what they've done. Yeah, shades of Blackburn Rovers, Andy. They're, they're in the north of the country. The town's got about 140,000 people in it. There's a bit of money going on there. All they need is a deadly strike duo and the title is theirs. But all, all they need is a statue of Ifan Offer which will definitely happen if they qualify for the Champions League, right? I'll have to take your word for that, Andy. Uh, we we move on um, after that. Uh, very interesting uh, chat about Famalicão, Andy. Nice one on that. Um, to Soccer Source, who says, who do you think will eventually replace Jordi Alba at Barcelona and Spain? Angelino at RB Leipzig looks a good shout if he keeps his form up. Do you agree with uh, with with old Saucy there? Do you think Angelino has a, has a chance to, to replace Jordi Alba at Barcelona? And he does say eventually... Um, because obviously Jordi Alba is uh, is not exactly um, uh, you know a creaking cadaver, is he? <laughs> so, are we talking sauce as in like what you might drip down your top when you're eating a bacon sandwich, <laughs> or as in like the the font of something? Uh, no, it is um, uh, you, you you know what you'd put on your chips. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah, good. that's how it's spelled. Yeah. yeah. That's that's good to know. I feel better about you calling him or her saucy now. That, yeah, that, true. That's fine. Um, right. But presumably, because if it was soccer sauce, as in, you know, what's your source of, for that information? Then, yeah, <laughs> then quite clearly, they're they're taking the information from 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 this very podcast, Andy, and then uh, and then passing that off as a original soccer sauce material, or, or they'd have the answer yeah. already. Um, but <laughs> indeed, uh, there's a test. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting point, I think, about Jordi Alba because um, Barcelona have been looking to cover him for a while. That's why they um, pushed the boat out for Junior Furipo, uh last summer. And he's, he's found it a little difficult to, mm-hmm. to settle so far. Junior I like him as a player. We should say. Yeah, that's right. But I, I think you have to be realistic and say with fullbacks, there's a lot of miles on the clock because yeah. there's no player on the pitch that does more running, really, is there? Especially at Barcelona. Especially at Barcelona, absolutely. Um, so I'm relatively hopeful for Junior Firpo. And if he were to eventually nail a first team place for a regular first team place for Barcelona, then I guess it would seem natural that he would also he he, he would also do that do that for Spain. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. I, I like the shout of Angelino. Um, mm-hmm. Firstly, because um, he's been absolutely terrific for um, the time since he's joined uh, RB Leipzig. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been brilliant so far, very eye-catching in both those games against Tottenham. And secondly, because, um, as I guess Soccer Source is pointing out, I like the idea that He's a player who plays most of his football in the opposition half, you know, mm-hmm. despite being a fullback. The, the one caveat to that, that I would say, is he is um, someone who's played as wing back for Leipzig so far. So if he has to defend in a four at Barcelona or with with Spain, I don't know mm-hmm. if we're talking about him replacing him at Barcelona as well as Spain, yeah. um, then would would that be an issue for him? Because at the moment the setup that Leipzig are playing with three at the back suits him 
absolutely fantastically. I mean, there's nothing to say that further down the line, Spain might not move to three at the back. Who knows? And of course, there's the argument that um, Barcelona or Spain, when Sergio Busquets is there, um, play a kind of de facto back three if Busquets drops in between the two centre-halves and, mm-hmm. and the two full-backs go. So, you know, maybe it's not mm-hmm. as different in reality as it, it would suggest on paper. Um, I would say the other candidates um, are probably uh, Jose Gaia from Valencia, who I don't think has progressed quite to the level that you would have thought um, by this point. I mean, he's he's looked a player since since he was a teenager now he's he's 24 and you know if his form would be would have been more consistent i think it's not unrealistic to say that he would have been at uh barcelona or real madrid or a year older than junior furpo yeah that's 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 true but i'm talking about in terms of trajectory like you could have gone back four or five years and thought yeah Gaia is going to be brilliant for Valencia for a couple of years and then be playing mm. for an absolutely monster club, which has not happened. Um, and part of that's the environment of Valencia, but but still. Um, but it's whether he can know, make the step up or not, Andy, because we often see mm. players who are playing. I mean, even Virgil van Dijk's an example. I know everyone rated him very highly before he went to Liverpool. I understand that. Yeah. But he was playing at Southampton. You know, one can forget that him playing at Liverpool, I know he played at Celtic, and I don't want to make this about Van Dijk, but that that kind of step up, you, you can often yeah. tell if a player is ready and primed to do that. Think about, you know, even someone like Danny Alves before he moved to Barcelona. So if you think um, that he can make the step up from Valencia, who are a big club, obviously, to Barcelona, if it's, if it's ready, then it's worth taking a punt, is it not? I mean, but that's the issue with Gaia. Is, is he ready? And right. Uh, like he's not going to get signed by Real Madrid or or, or Barcelona in the next transfer window. I, I think I think that's pretty clear. I mean, there's a lot to like about him. Very tidy footballer, very mobile, and for that reason, and because of where he's come from as well, um, people have drawn the parallels with with Jordi Alba. He's he's not anywhere near on that that level yet. I would argue, and he doesn't he doesn't quite have that athleticism to ca- mm-hmm. ca- cover both ends. Um, if I was going to pick out a a left back that I I really like that I think could make that step up. Luke I Shaw. think it would have <laughs> a Spanish left back. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it would be uh, Sergio Reguilon um, mm. from Real Madrid, who's uh, been on loan at Sevilla uh, this season. Um, of course, he was there. He was Sevilla's participant in the. Um, uh, the FIFA version of El Gran Derby that they had a couple of weeks ago against um, against Borja Iglesias didn't win, but you know, at oh, least well. he organised it. Um, <laughs> but, um, Regulon is, is is a player I really like. Um, the talk is that he will extend his loan at Sevilla for an extra year, and mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent idea because he's been good there this year. I think he's a player who I could see playing long-term for for Real Madrid over the next um, five, six, seven years. Um, but for him to spend an extra year there at Sevilla and you know get a decent amount of football, I mean, he's a player who, if he has a good season for Sevilla next season, presuming he stays there and presuming we have a, a season of sorts in, in, in 2021. Sure, yeah, yeah. He's, he's someone who I could see doing very well at the the, the Euros in in 2021.
Madrid para empujar la pelota y adelantar al Sevilla. Marca Sergio Reglón. Marca el Sevilla en el RCD Estadio. Español 0, Sevilla 1. We have a question from Stowe, home and away, who says this. With all the talk of lower league clubs in England set to struggle with finances in the current climate, is this a situation that is even more serious across Europe where the lower league structure isn't as formal or central? It's a good question, Andy. We're obviously concerned what's happening on our own uh, turf, but, but of course, on the continent, it may be an even bigger struggle for some clubs. Yeah, it's it's absolutely right. Um, Stowe's got an excellent point because, um, I, I mean, it's, it's something I've talked about time and again, um, both on, on, on the mailbag, on OTC. I think we've even mentioned it on Jules and Andy. The fact that, for, for me, we always think about the, the, the Premier League as the jewel in England's footballing crown and the mm -hmm. thing that internationally people recognise English football for. To an extent, that's true, of course. Um, but in my experience, when you go abroad and you really get talking about English football with um, genuine football enthusiasts, one of the things that they always point out is that they, they always ask, how is it that fourth or fifth tier football is shown live on television and has loads of people coming up <laughs> to see it? <laughs> you know, they, 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 they can't get their heads around it. And it's something that's very, very particular about English football, give or take, you know, the, the odd club that's, you know, fallen into financial ruin and has had to start from the beginning again, like um, a Parma or a, a, mm -hmm. a Napoli or a, a team like that. Um, so it, it's something that, of, of course, English football and its lower divisions does have a great challenge awaiting it over, over the next couple of months. But there's a genuine will and interest to keep those clubs alive nationally, I think. Um, is it the same thing when you get to other countries? Um, it isn't to the same extent. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked before in Spain about when you go out of the second division, I, I mean, the bottom of the second division, not the mm -hmm. top, you, you've, you've got a huge problem because in the Segunda Bay, which is the third tier in Spain, it's eight regionalized divisions. Yeah. So but basically, if you finish top of the table in the third tier, that's no guarantee of you going up. There are playoffs that happen to go up from there. It's really, really hard to get back in once you, once you fall out. And um, that's why, you know, for say Deportivo La Coruña, who spent the first half of this season really struggling in the Segunda, the idea of, of going out, of uh, getting relegated from the Segunda is it's like the worst possible prospect sure. for them. Because how do you get back? It's, it's not easy. And I think we were talking about Portugal a, a, a minute ago and how it was possible for for Malacau to build themselves into European contention with such a small stadium. Now, it's, it's kind of pet peeve of mine or has been since or pretty much 2004 when you had the Euros in Portugal. I mean, I strongly believe that the Euros in Portugal in 2004 shouldn't have been solely held by Portugal because, okay, it was a great tournament. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast will have seen it on TV and even been to it and, and really enjoyed it, enjoyed the country and enjoyed the places. Um, but the amount of white elephants that are left over from that um, is... What teams is, playing is in 60,000 stadiums when they only bring 15,000, 20,000 fans, that kind of thing? Not even. You know, clubs playing in 30,000 stadiums who were getting crowds of 
under a thousand in the top flight. I think yeah. Uniao Leria a really good example of that. Uh, a, a club that um, you look at Beiramar as well, a club that had to move out because they couldn't pay the bills. You know, they mm. could, they couldn't pay the the electric and the heating. You know, I, I think Boavista were at a point, and their stadium um, is is relatively modest compared to to, to some of the other ones. But um, Boavista, at one point when they were in the third tier, it took them uh, six home games to pay the bills for a month. That's where they were. So and they're a club that's back in the top flight now. So I think if you you look at Portugal and you look at some of those clubs, um, especially in the bottom half, you look at Avish, um, Porto Menense, Tondela, they're going to be really affected by, by this. And so I, th- I think, you know, we can talk about lower division football and how it has to be looked after and it absolutely does. But I think for a, a lot of countries, as Stowe says, it's not. It, we're not talking about going down to the fourth tier. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about teams in the second tier and some teams that are even in the top flight as well. So surely then that in the, the situation across Europe, clubs will be in, in, in far more trouble and we will see potentially... But, <coughs> excuse me, we'll potentially see a lot of them or a number of them cease to exist, which hopefully won't be the case. We don't know what respective governments around the, the continent are going to do, but that is a massive danger of, of, of seeing a handful, at least a handful, maybe even a few handfuls of clubs disappear. Yeah, and I mean, I think the difference in perception is if you think for, for even like fans who are listening to this who don't watch League One football, they'll have been aware of the Berry story from this season. You know, it's national news. It was huge news that a club couldn't continue in the season. Whereas in other countries, this happens. You know, Mm. you look at uh, Estrela de Amadora in in Lisbon and um, when they went, which would be, I don't know, eight, nine years ago now. I Mm. mean, you know, they're a club that produced some, some, some players of note and they disappeared and people move on pretty quickly. Um, You look at elsewhere, you look at, I know they're they're in a very particular situation in terms of the conflict that's been there, but you look at the financial struggles, even predating that in the Ukrainian Premier League. And the fact that they ended up using the same playoff system that they used in Scotland and that now is used in countries like Romania, to a lesser extent Belgium, although it's slightly more complicated over there, obviously. It's something we always used to talk about on OTC, isn't it? Because Mm. the league had shrunk to such a degree in Ukraine that they didn't really have any option other than to to do that. You know, you either do that or you turn into the Swiss Super League and you play each other four times a season. So... I think this is something that, that that is going to be an issue, and that there's 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 no doubt that it's going to mark football going forward, and 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 maybe you get a situation. I really hope not, but maybe you get a situation where in some countries you do get more shrinking top leagues, and they have to reformat. Yeah, it'd be a great shame. Uh, we shall have to wait and see. Of course, uh, we'll finish with this one from Phil R. Phil R. Who says, "What are your thoughts on 15-year-old German Cameroonian striker Yusufa Mukoku uh, or Mukoku? Sorry, his numbers are impressive with 34 goals for Dortmund's under-19s this year and 50 goals." with the under-17s last year. Should we be getting excited at his potential? Or at that level, do players have this sort of impact fairly regularly? 
I think it's fine to be excited. And in terms of what he's done, um, you know, he, he's smashed the ceiling at every level he's he's gone up to. Um, you can check him out so, on YouTube, by the way, and it's it's worth yeah. seeing because he's got a hell of a left foot on him. He looks quite two-footed, actually. But as you'd expect with those kind of goals, you know, he's he's, he's powerful. He looks... Um, he's quite an intelligent player as well. His movement and so on and so forth. I mean, he looks like he'll be the finished article from from just. I mean, I suppose anybody can have a good highlight reel on on YouTube and look good. But but this this young lad looks particularly good. I think Andy. Yeah, yeah, he does. And uh, I think the fact that you know he's he's, he's broken all these records, like um, you know, he's the first thirteen year old in the Bundesliga's under seventeen competition. And yeah. he was smashing in goals left, right, and centre for that. By the time he was fourteen, he was playing with the under nineteens, mm. and he scored six goals in his first match. Um, <laughs> the fact that he was the, the, the youngest player to be fielded in the UEFA Youth League back in September, when he was still fourteen, because he didn't turn fifteen until November. Um, uh, he then became the youngest scorer in the, the UEFA Youth League when he when he scored against Inter. And now that they've given him a few little tastes of training with the first team. Now, we've seen Lucien Favre and the confidence he's given to Gio Reyna, who's still only 17. Of course, he's not 18 till, I think, October, November. Um, th- th- there, is, there is a will at Dortmund to um, give young players a go. And, and that's what makes it so exciting. I, I think if he mm. was a player doing these sort of numbers for Real Madrid or for mm-hmm. even Bayern or someone like that, you would think, or Paris Saint-Germain, you would think, that's nice. Is he ever going to get a go? I think yeah. what makes Makoko and his development so exciting is because you can see the pathway to the first team in Dortmund. Now, mm-hmm. bear, bear in mind with the current um, ruling in terms of age, um, the earliest he can play in the Bundesliga is uh, the season after next. So 21-22. Because he needs to be 16 at the start of the season to to to, to, to get in. So um, it's, it's a while yet, but it's interesting. I, I, I saw um, an interview with him in the German media recently, and he said, well, look, my ambitions are to make it into the German national team and to win the Bundesliga with Dortmund. And, you know, they're great ambitions to have, but I think there's so much, it sounds so much more reasonable than saying, right, I'm going to go out there and win the Ballon d'Or and, you know, (laughs) win the the Champions League six times. And it's fine to be ambitious if you're a teenager, but I think with what he said, it shows where Dortmund are at because it's simultaneously ambitious yeah, it doesn't feel totally unachievable. Mm. So I think for me, I've only seen him a couple of times. What I particularly like about him is uh, the movement, the reading of his runs, I think are are very impressive. I mean, some of you might have seen him actually um, when Dortmund had their uh, UEFA Youth League playoff against Derby County. That was on BT Sport and he he played very, very well in that as as, as well. So some of you might have seen that. As as Marcus was saying, there's plenty of opportunity to see him online as well. So you're going to have to wait for him for a while. But on this current trajectory, there's no reason to assume that once he is eligible, 
he won't get a little go because we know that Dortmund are not bothered about players being too young or anything like that. There you are. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to be a future Ballon d'Or and six times Champions League winner, according to Andy Brassel. <laughs> nice to, editing, uh, uh, <laughs> Tom. Thank you. Put a bit of pressure on the young lad, Andy. That's what I say. Um, excellent stuff. Well, we've come to the end of our time on the mailbag. Thank you very much for your, your questions. Forgive us if we didn't get around to answering yours, but uh, we hopefully will do uh, in future. But uh, Discord, the Discord is always a good place to, to get your questions in. Of course, I'm usually poking you uh, on there for your questions for Andy uh, but we'll be back next week Andy thank you very much my good man thank you stop poking the listeners Marcus <laughs> um, virtually of course Andy I can't get near them in these uh, in these isolating times true um, which is probably best all round and uh, uh, yeah again thank you very much for your questions we'll see you next time stay safe This was a Stakhanov production.